0: Welcome to Aesthetics Mastery. I'm Dr. Tim Pearce. I'm here today with Lee Cottrell who is the Business Development Manager and has led the Level 7 um, design and implementation for Skinviva training. So we're going to find out a little bit more about this qualification and how it can fit into your aesthetics career. Hi, welcome Lee. Hello Tim. Um, So Level 7, uh, this has been a really hot topic and a lot of people talking about it at the moment. Who do you think it's going to most benefit?
1: So the Level 7 that's uh, come out on the market at the moment, we should just be clear what its full title is, I suppose. So it's the Level 7 Certificate in Injectables for Aesthetic Medicine. Um, It's a qualification that's uh, accredited by an awarding body under Ofqual called Industry Qualifications, and it's aimed at medical professionals. So at the moment, the definition of a medical professional for Level 7 is a dentist, a doctor, a nurse a midwife uh, a pharmacist uh, a dental hygienist a dental therapist or a paramedic so those are going to be the people that will directly benefit from this accredited qualification at the moment
0: okay so if you're in the, one of those professions and you do this this qualification what how is that going to help you in terms of setting up a business and and developing a, your career in that direction is it something that, that we that we have to have or might have to? Where do you see it going in the future for those people who choose to do the qualification?
1: So right now, it's uh, it's come out as a choice for people to, to get into. So it's not compulsory. And part of that is because in the UK, we're we're woefully behind large other areas of the world, such as Europe, where we don't have any legislation in this country about who can and can't do it. So yeah, it's been positioned as a choice, but for those people that that, that choose to do The level seven injectables qualification, they should become a a much more rounded practitioner because this qualification is is so much more encompassing than um, a lot of the one-day courses that are out there on the market. It's got OSCE examinations, um, it's got coursework assignments where people are are filling in level seven equivalent essays, Um, and then it's also got a large period of clinical supervision in, and that Clinical supervision. In fact, the whole structure of level seven is aligned to um, the Health Education England report that came out in 2016. So it perfectly aligns to that. So it's it's going in the direction that the government wants the sector to go in, following the the Keo report that came out a few years ago.
0: Great, and and that that actually resonates a lot with me about how I how I understand level seven, which is it's it's not it's not just about the content; it's about the validation of what you know and what you say you can do. So one-day courses are essentially relying on your professional responsibilities to say, I've, I've done training and I'm almost validating myself as being, because I'm a doctor or a nurse or any healthcare professional, that you are you are taking the required responsibility in terms of analysing your own skills and saying that you're safe to do it. Uh, and that's how a lot of courses work. If I, I know that when I did my minor surgery course with RCGP, it was a similar sort of day. There was no real testing there's no um there's no one there are people there who might hold you back if you're appalling but mm-hmm. it isn't a validated process mm-hmm. and at level 7 for me the big difference is this is an objective point of view of your skills and get earned over a period of time you know with testing and and essays and all those sorts of things which is really the thing that makes it so different to the one day courses where where most responsible providers are making sure that you're safe, Mm. um, but there isn't a, simply because of the economics and the time involved, there isn't a stringent process that you get put through. There's a little bit more like going to medical school than it is anything postgraduate almost, or passing a a big professional qualification.
1: It is, yeah, and I I think that's also why, uh, to some extent, it's also quite controversial as a new thing to the market. Because if you take take the case of, of... quite a lot of medical professionals, they quite a lot of them feel that they shouldn't have to go an extra step to validate themselves, that was the word that you used. Um, and I think that can be the case for some people that put ethics first and patient safety first and they take their uh, clinical skills really seriously. But we do know that in an unregulated market, the quality of these one-day courses varies massively. And also the ethics of practitioners varies considerably. So whilst it is the case for the vast majority of people that they act responsibly, it's not the case for everybody. And up until this point, there hasn't been a way of um, gaining a qualification, going on a course, learning a universal set of competencies and standards that validates practitioners from an external perspective. The Level 7 will be the the first time that there is an off poll accredited qualification out there that externally sets points of validation so that um we know where everybody's at whereas one day courses at the moment the 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 level of teaching the quality of teaching varies considerably
0: Mm -hmm. it it sounds to me that it's it's the closest we have now at the moment for a a, a very certain step forward in terms of quality give or take all the the politics around it you couldn't argue that it's a step backwards
1: yeah, I think I think that's true. I probably also should say, for transparency as well, that we've there. there, there there's a couple of university courses out there for aesthetics. Um, so there's the there's the level seven that's come out that's a vocational qualification. But then we have got a couple of academic level sevens. Northumber is, is one is a case in point, and also Queen Mary do one as well. But these courses that are um, regulated either by a university or by an awarding body under Ofqual. Um, or UCAS is the other one, they are really few and far between at the moment. So it, it, it is a very new concept to the market. Mm-hmm. And I think, as with anything, when you roll roll something out that's new to the market, it, it takes people by surprise. People don't like change. They, they fear what might be to come. Um, and we're seeing that in the responses of certain people, certain quarters, um, that they don't think it's the right thing to do. But as you say, I don't think anybody can see this as a backward step. There is that worry that, from some practitioners that it means they've got to jump through more hoops as some people put it but ultimately as we've already said this this is a way of saying th- this is a universal set of competencies from mm. points naught to 100 and if you can prove that you've gone through a period of time with clinical supervision um, to achieve those 100 competencies or however many they are and you validated yourself as you know exactly what you're doing and do you not think that that should be whether you're a paramedic or whether you're a doctor. Um, I I think it's really important that that wherever you're coming from this, I know there's a lot of politics out there about, uh, well, if I'm a doctor, should I have to do this? I'm a nurse, should I have to do this? But surely when we look at aesthetics, uh, when we look at injectable medicine, we have to think that there's a very relevant set of competences for that particular specialism whatever background you've come from, and whatever background you've come from, you should be able to prove that you can, you can achieve those
0: competencies. Absolutely, and, and it's something that you rapidly learn when you start training people, which I've been doing for years now, which is entrance criteria are not as sensitive as you might think. I mean, you, you can just have huge differences between even, you know, surgeons, doctors, nurses, they can be very enormously, there's almost more variation between individuals than there is between specialties. So really what you want to have is is a set of exit criteria, which are stringent, rather than having very stringent entrance criteria and no exit criteria, which is kind of how the situation is at the moment.
1: So just to highlight a bit more about what you mean by entry criteria and exit criteria, I think that would be useful for people to understand that more.
0: So entrance criteria would be you have to be a doctor or a nurse or a dentist or whatever professional that you choose on the basis that you believe there's something that goes with that qualification, which is essentially almost unteachable in Mm. anything else unless you've got those foundation criteria Mm -hmm. Um, and so currently that's what it would be for a doctor you come and do a one day course and and you can start practicing and that's fine on the basis that you have all this other training behind you Mm -hmm. for me that is less of a stringent system than saying um, what the exit criteria is so you actually measure people and what they know about aesthetics before you give them the stamp to say you can go ahead and practice in that field Mm. Um, now that the controversy as you say is that people feel that undermines the status particularly of doctors that they should be able to do this on their own which which is an an argument um but i think it for me it feels inherently safer that you're marking people on the way out as competent rather than already competent just need to do a bit more training Mm. it seems to me extra criteria would be better for the public Mm, and there's yeah.
1: probably not a great deal of that around at the moment, I wouldn't have
0: thought. Yeah, and, and, but that's essentially what any qualification is. You have to pass some sort of assessment mm. so, until they will say you've got that skill. And, mm. and for me, that, that does feel safer to me. Um, regardless of how competent you can be without those things, it does feel like you're more likely to, to remove some of the, of the less, less competent practitioners if they're unable to, to pass certain things, just because of the length of time they get analysed by people who have an objective a, a job to actually actually objectively analyse them.
1: I think the one that them a lot of people uh, get hook up, hooked up on is that we, we go around this question about how much injecting experience people have had in their jobs, and we, we make sometimes our criteria around, well, does that, does that professional do a lot of injecting their day-to-day, but I know when we've spoken about it in the past, what, where the position we got to was perhaps the amount of injecting experience they've got isn't that relevant. There are, there are things that are more important about whether they're suitable to be coming on to uh, one day courses or qualifications.
0: Yeah, I think, well, m- my point of view on this is the style of injection and aesthetics is so different from any other injection that the fact that you've used a needle before is only a kind of helpful as opposed to being an, an absolute necessity. I mean, we don't in any other field that I'm aware of obsess so much over depth and angles and position and volume. Um, in such a precise manner. So the only thing being good at injecting gives you is just a little bit more confidence to get started, um, which isn't necessarily that helpful in the long arc of of what actually happens after that. You, you, need, to be a, you need to do a lot of injecting to become really proficient in it. And I, I say this as someone who'd done accident and emergency, who'd done various procedures in undergrad medicine, in surgery, that starting aesthetics was a new skill set to me. It wasn't something that was old hat and easy to bolt on, I had to do a, a lot of development. And I see that in everyone we train, even the plastic surgeons who come through are picking up new skills because it is different to other practical skills. And I, I've never partic- particularly seen the, the undergrad or the um, pre-professional qualification experience as as that helpful. I think it gives confidence, but definitely not competence. Um, and, and that's what, what this qualification would would make sure people had. Mm.
1: I suppose we also need to address, really, um, the, the topic of, of non-medical persons coming into the sector because we, we see a lot of questions and comments on our Facebook forum about, well, will Level 7 be, uh, can, can beauty therapists attain their Level 7 qualification? We probably need to talk a little bit about that because that's one thing that I think holds people back from maybe doing their Level 7 if it's going to be equated to something a beauty therapist can do. Mm-hmm. What, what have you seen around this topic?
0: Well, there, there is, I've certainly seen beauty therapist training schools saying that they have a Level 7. I'm, as far as I'm aware, that isn't possible with the Ofqual. You know more about this, I think, than me. Yeah, that,
1: that is true. Right now, the, the, the only Level 7 vocational qualification on the market is, is the one by industry qualifications, which is the awarding body under Ofqual. Um, there, there, there hasn't been another one brought to market yet, so, so the only one is the Level 7 certificate. injectables for aesthetic medicine and that is right now it's strictly medical professionals only with the list that i gave earlier on in our in our podcast um but there there will come a point where um, if it follows the route if if the qualifications follow the route that the jccp that's the joint council for cosmetic practitioners are currently trailblazing then it will come come a point when things are opened up to non-medical practitioners as well which is Obviously, hugely controversial. So, right now, yes, the answer is um, that non medical practitioners know they they can't do a level seven, but eventually they will have access to that. But for me, the important point here is that to, to do that, they will have to go from whatever level of qualification they've currently got, which, if you take an average beauty therapist, they might be at level three, sometimes level four, rarely level five. And we will have to progress through the rest of the levels to get up to the level at which injectables are at. Now, it's a it's a separate point probably for another day about whether we believe beauty therapists and non-medical injectors should be doing these treatments. I think we're covering that in a different podcast.
0: Yes, I certainly have some strong opinions on that. I'd like to share, but we'll, yes, uh, we'll indeed. Come on,
1: but for purity, skin beauty training don't train non-medical practitioners. Yes, we have absolutely. No um, but yeah, the. the That People are flagging this every day in terms of what what does Level 7 mean for those non-medical people. I think medical professionals want to see the Level 7 as a a way of differentiating themselves. But then they worry that if a beauty therapist can then go ahead and do it, then what's the point? But for clarity, the the Level 7s that are out there at the moment, or the ones that claim to be a Level 7, they're not... They're not externally accredited Level 7s, because I, I know for certain that as at this point in time, which is uh, March 2018, there is only the, the IQ Level 7 out there.
0: Okay, so what about the, for the, those clinicians who do decide to go ahead and, and, and do a Level 7 qualification, how do they, because many of them have been injecting for many years, how would you suggest that they, they approach that in terms of what they do and, and why they should or shouldn't do level 7 given that they may already have experience?
1: Hmm. This is a, this is an interesting one because you can sympathise with people that have been in aesthetics for, for years and years and years. I, get, I guess time is no measure of quality though, about whether they've been doing it right for years and years and years but I'm sure many of them have. I'm sure the vast majority have. Um, so some people might... One, to undertake the level seven at this stage, because effectively it's, it's something else to add onto to the CV. It's something else that you can use for marketing purposes, a way of differentiating yourself to say you've gone through this qualification, which is externally accredited. It has its universal list of competencies. So it's a way of proving to your audience that you take what you do really seriously and that you're prepared to train to the highest degree. That would be a key, a key reason for doing it. Equally, you get people that are experts in their field and they have no interest in doing it. And that's also fine because at the moment it's not compulsory to do it. But we are probably facing a future where in two or three years' time, the regulatory position will probably change. And it is likely that at some point these kinds of qualifications are going to be required. Um, Whether they'll be required for people that have got serious amounts of quality experience, we, we don't know yet. Because it could be that those people are given recognition of prior learning. But then, even the recognition of prior learning, or APEL, as it's sometimes known, is is a really interesting position. If we take the criteria right now on on the IQ level 7 for recognition of prior learning, even if you get awarded APEL, it still doesn't give you exemption from the coursework assignments, and it doesn't give you exemption from the um, objective structured clinical examinations either. You've still got to do your OSCEs, you've still got to do your, your coursework assignments. So... If regulation comes into play in a couple of years, chances are everybody's really going to have to think about doing this or an equivalent to be able to get themselves on any kind of a statutory register. I don't think it'll be enough just to prove that you've done so many patient cases over a number of years. I still think you'll have to prove that you've gone through that validation against a, a set of universal standards.
0: Okay. Well, th- that's actually news to me that there'd be an, an exam, essentially, rather than just uh presentation of what you of what you say that you know Mm, it's Um, it's interesting
1: we've been we've been doing we've been doing some of these oscists the last couple of weeks with students that are on our level seven and uh they are they're no walk in the park um i sat in on uh two last week to have some first-hand experience at how they were and they they were they were tough exams um not everybody has has passed um, and they do require a lot of work so it's this is going to shake up the market even the most experienced clinicians we're, we're going to see a failure rate um, so yeah it's going to be interesting to see people working their way through
0: this mm-hmm. okay so that's certainly food for thought um, so um, if you have is there any way that doing previous training um, can help you get through a level 7 is there going to be obviously there's the presentation of your experience but if you've got say certificate from a training school saying you've done a certain thing is that going to help lessen the workload for you going through your uh, qualification from scratch yeah
1: i know what you mean i think i think we've got people generally in three camps here I, i think we've got people that are totally new to aesthetics and then i think we've got people that have done some but not a great deal in terms of training and experience and then we've got the really experienced injectors and all three of those groups are going to be affected If we take the first group, the ones that have not done anything, they're currently faced with a choice. They can do the one-day courses, um, which we certainly still offer and we still stand by the quality of what we offer there as well and how we support people after the course. Or they can go straight in on uh, a Level 7 qualification with a university or with a private training provider such as Skim Move Training, Cosmetic Courses, Harley Academy. For the people that have done some training and have got some experience, they may have done a one-day training course already. So the question that comes to mind for them is, "What well, are they going to have to redo it? And at the moment, that's down to every training provider's discretion you take for us, for instance. Um, if they've done their Foundation Day within a year, we wouldn't ask them to redo it. Um, so those, the, the people in this middle group are generally the people that they haven't got enough experience to get recognition of prior learning. But they have done some. They have, they have invested... Uh, some money in their training and they have got a few toxin and filler patients under their belt but it's not enough to get recognition of prior learning and then you've got the third group who are the really experienced people and the way that they're affected is that they have to make their minds up whether they get the qualification and go for recognition of prior learning or APAL and if they do that what they get is they get an exemption from having to undertake clinical supervision on the qualification which saves time it saves money so they have to instead just work their way through the coursework and the OSCE exams.
0: So it sounds like although the, exit, the exams themselves are going to be the same for everyone, your mm. route towards getting there could be quite unique. You could have done different things at different points, um, mm. uh, selected, almost cherry-picked the courses that you hadn't done, added mm. them onto what you already have done, and used that whole experience to, to educate yourself in order to pass the, the final exams and the written coursework.
1: Yeah, that's right. The the scope of this level 7 qualification is is the whole of the face, which means that the coursework assignments, um, there's 34 of those in total, and they are about 100 to 700 words in length each. Um, And the OSCEs, they they could be on anything involving the face. They could be on uh, a jawline procedure. They could be on uh, using particular pieces of equipment such as cannula. Um, They could be on rhinoplasty. So the ability to pick and choose what you learn as part of your level seven, I think is going to be really key going forward. It could be delivered in a way that brings people, fresh people into the market through their foundation learning, and then they learn multiple procedures in their clinical supervision. But I think the way that we're looking at doing it is to, is to try and encourage people to pick and choose what, what group training modules they want. So we offer a selection of group training modules that's going to be with training. We have a, a jawline course, we have a lip enhancement course, and the list goes on. I think if we could give people the choice of what modules they want to learn, they can cherry pick the areas they're interested in and help them better prepare for their exams as well. So I think for that middle group of people that we spoke, spoke about a moment ago, if they've done a foundation day and if they've done a lip enhancement day, they may choose to Um, increase their knowledge and broaden their knowledge by maybe doing a a one-day course on, say, noses, for instance, or on jawline, and that will boost their knowledge, it gets them back into a training environment, prepares them then for clinical supervision. They'll be better armed for their exams then in case the question comes upon noses. Um, Certainly the OSCEs we've seen so far taking place, they really are hole-of-the-face. There was an OSCE last week that involved asking the student to do a, a full a whole facial assessment and without knowledge of different areas of the face and the different techniques it would have been so difficult to pass that so giving our students the ability to cherry pick what areas they want to focus on is really important i think also it is important to differentiate between clinical supervision and training as well at the front end we've got the training course is where we where we're actually teaching you the procedures perhaps for the first time or reinforcing skills and then the clinical supervision which comes afterwards is very much mentoring and it's refining the skills that you've learned not teaching them for the first time
0: so that's that's a really interesting point which is that what we're saying about level 7 is there will it will you'll be quite different from a lot of practitioners who basically um, may stop their training at a certain point so they may select that they like doing lip treatments they like doing cheeks they like doing some foundation botox treatments but they don't really want to do noses or um which is fine you may you may still not have to do them but you do need to know about them so you have to be quite holistically educated in terms of um uh, in terms of what in or, in terms of passing level seven it's it's mm. not something for basic treatments only. You need to know aesthetics for the face, which is a, a, just a point I thought was worth mm. making. Yeah, definitely. Um, and finally, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about how the cost of it is made up, and and why it costs what it does, and uh, how much you'd expect people to pay to pass to, to to get a qualification.
1: I think the position on on prices for students is is uh, is varying a lot at the moment, and it's evolving. And That's because this qualification's been on the market less than two years, and that's only with the um, that's only with the first training provider that launched it. For for the majority of other training providers, this is very very new, less than a year old. So the prices situation is evolving. Um, the current spread is probably starting at around three thousand pounds for most training providers to do a complete level seven, and is going up to say probably ten thousand pounds. And the very the variability comes down to a few different factors. Um, The main one is probably how much clinical supervision each student needs. Um, This this course specification says that you've got to observe 10 botulinum toxin treatments, you've then got to carry out under supervision 10 botulinum toxin treatments, and then you've got to observe 10 dermal filler treatments, and you've got to then carry out under supervision 10 dermal filler treatments. So, how long it takes any one student to do that amount of procedures. It's different for every person, so therefore the amount you're paying to the, to the clinical supervisor is going to vary. So that's one element that varies the cost. And then the other one is, well, how many how many teaching days do you throw in during the course? If a student comes in with scimibia training and just does the foundation day, well, that element for scimibia training is worth roughly £1,000. But if they decide to uh, go on a training course for lips and jowls, jawline, cheeks... These are all additional cost elements that have to be added in. So that then drives the cost upwards. The advantage for the student is you become a much more holistic, all-rounder as a practitioner because you're you're getting the teaching on on lots of areas. You're better prepared for your exams. You're better able to go into clinical supervision having had the the foundations of every area of the face. Um, But yeah, we recognise that people have got different budgets as well. Some people may only be able to spend the minimum amount um, and unfortunately they'll carry, they'll carry a bit more risk when it comes to the exams because they won't have had such an all-round set of teaching. So the costings at the moment for, for every training provider the, there, is a, there is a wide range of, of what a student can pay and I'd like to see over the next couple of years it's starting to level out and becoming a bit more standardised.
0: Mm-hmm. It's very clear where the cost is in terms of your actual practical training which takes time, your clinical supervision and then the exams all of which basically the biggest cost is the clinical time you're having to pay someone who could be in a, in a in a clinic doing normal clinical work to do an exam yes that's right um, or to train you or to and and that's that's basically why it's fairly costly is because of mm. the amount of doctor nurse training time um, that goes into it um, but that's really helpful um so i think it's uh, it's it's a good sounds to me like and I feel, personally, it's a good step in the right direction in terms of validating people's qualifications. But we're at early its early doors, really, in terms of how this shapes the future of aesthetics. Um, but it's, it seems to me like it could be quite a key component of the future of medical aesthetics, um, given the way things are going, and also with the uncertainty that goes with that.
1: That's what we're seeing. But we mustn't also forget that these are people that are tempted to go into aesthetics alongside their NHS jobs, and some of these people they want to dip their toe in the water. They don't necessarily want to have to pay out £10,000 to undergo a qualification when they don't know if they're going to like working in this sector. We have to remember the majority of these people that we're training, they come from NHS backgrounds, not business backgrounds. So there's lots to test and trial when somebody moves into aesthetics for the first time that will ultimately ultimately dictate whether they make it past year one when setting up their own business. So to what extent it's fair to make people undergo a, a really comprehensive um, and high investment qualification from the start is, is yet to be seen. At the moment, the way we're running it at for training is we're still giving people the choice around maybe come and do your foundation data, dip your toe in the water, to see how you like working in aesthetics before you then commit to the full qualification. And I think that's quite a nice way to allow people to test the water before they get in waist deep.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Um, okay, I think that's uh, that's a good bit of information to be getting on with for now. Um, if you want any more information on those training courses available and the other training providers, we will be including them in the, in the course notes as well. Um, but also it would be great to have your comments. If you'd like to know more, then please comment. Uh, you can email me at tim at drtimpearce.com um, and also uh, Skin Beaver Training. you can email at... Please.
1: It's info at
0: Okay, that's great. Thank you for listening to Aesthetics Mastery. That's been the Level 7 Qualification.